Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Meads, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. On today's episode, we will be talking about The Last of Us and a few angles that I was really eager to explore. So more about that in a second. But first, I'd just like to remind everyone that they can find us on social media by searching for the term left poc and that's l-e-f-t-p-o-c and of course to check out our patreon page that's patreon.com slash left poc there you can find the podcast of course but also resources related to the podcast so any readings that we do articles that we discuss etc they're all there for free at all times because we don't believe in paywalls around here however speaking of paying if you'd like to donate to our podcast you can do it there as well we accept increments of a dollar or more per month um, so feel free to do that those funds help us run the podcast manage the data storage um, pay our guests which we are unique in doing I believe um, and also support any uh, other podcasts that we feel are doing a great job covering matters related to leftists of color especially those that have fewer than 500 uh, subscribers so that they can get support as well um, we also put back many of our funds into the community and several other organizations that are doing important things at the time. Um, so feel free to donate to us um, and we appreciate it. However, if you can't donate to us, if you can't spare those $12 a year, which I understand times are tough and always have been, uh, but are getting kind of extra bad right now, um, please feel free to just share commentary about our podcast. Let us know what you think about it. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a colleague, tell a coworker. Um, discuss some things from our podcast, podcast and, and let us know how you feel about it. Um, all of that interaction, of course, helps direct people to the podcast and learn more about what we're doing. Uh, so with that said, I'd like to go ahead and introduce today's guests for our discussion of The Left of Us. Um, she goes by Danielle, but I call her Danny <laughs> throughout the episode because that's how I was first introduced to her. So just be aware of that. Anyway, um, Danielle has a background in digital communications and is a media enthusiast. Originally from the D.C. area, she lived in Germany for 10 years and now resides in New England with her family. She likes to explore media from an intercultural lens and examine how the use of race and class in media can both fortify and challenge power dynamics in real life. And that aspect of her love and joy in media definitely comes out during this discussion. I hope that you all enjoy it as much as I had conducting the interview. Um, and so with that said, I'd like to get started. However, oops, before I get started, I do want to add two quick things. So first of all, neither of us have played the video game, um, but I did a little research like as I was watching the show about the video game from several sources. So that's how I got my video game references. Um, and I would also say one group that we did not discuss um, of people of color who came up actually in the show um, were indigenous people. So at one point there isn't, there's like a, you know, five, little five minute scene of um, Joel and Ellie with an indigenous couple. And, you know, it's kind of like for comic relief and things like that. But it is interesting that we have a huge chunk of the show that's in, you know, the North 
west of the country in the Midwest. And we don't really see that many indigenous people, but you know, in real life, you would come across a lot of indigenous people in those areas. Um, so happy that they were featured, but kind of surprised that there weren't more characters, at least that we knew of, uh, that were of indigenous descent. So something to kind of pin there. Um, but we do discuss other racial groups and, and things like that, that come up in the the story. The other thing I should say as well, this is like, I guess, a third note. This entire episode is um, laden with spoilers. Like we talk about the whole season of the show. So if you have not seen The Last of Us and you don't want to get uh, the show spoiled, or if you have seen it, but only in part, and you don't want to spoil the rest of it, please do not listen to the, the episode. <laughs> Just like don't. Um, but if you have watched it, and you're interested in our perspectives on it, um, from, you know, aspects of politics and race and class, please definitely listen the whole way through um, and enjoy it. And also, I guess I should say I welcome people who also have not watched the show at all or played the game, but who are just interested in the topic, um, but who don't plan on watching it, or they, I guess maybe they don't care about certain aspects being spoiled. If any of that describes you, then sure, feel free to listen. <laughs> but if you haven't played and you don't want any spoilers, or if you haven't watched and you don't want any spoilers, please be aware this is not the episode for you and to come back to it. Uh, so with that said, I hope everyone enjoys the show and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, Danny. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we are going to be talking about The Last of Us and in particular aspects of race um, and gender and class that were somewhat missing or seemed to be there in the show. But then the producers and showrunners didn't seem to understand or didn't seem to realize themselves. Um, and I guess what we can do is sort of like break down just your initial first thoughts about um, those aspects of the show and maybe what was missing or what you found was there, but maybe not fully um, realized. And then the other thing I just wanted to think about as well is um, in some areas where there were stereotypical portrayals of certain groups, but then nothing was really done with that or things were not very much like explored as they perhaps could have been. Um, and perhaps why that was I think part of it is, you know, obviously the the showrunner and the producer um, and the person behind the video game that came out in 2013, they're all white men, um, but they have their own, you know, personal experiences and exposures that were very much part of the show. And I think the show was, you know, well-developed in that sense. They clearly got, you know, uh, feedback from others and things like that. So it wasn't just a solo project, but at the same time, uh, there were still some question marks for me. So I'd be curious to hear your initial thoughts and your your feedback on the show in those aspects, and then we can go from there. Sure, well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I guess just starting off, um... I decided to watch the show. It's not my typical genre, but I was very excited to um, watch something that was touching on a lot of things that, you know, we've been experiencing with regards to pandemic life and um, just seeing that on screen again. And so I, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. Um, I initially, I didn't even know that it was about a video game. I was just like, this sounds like an interesting story. Um, and then my husband, um, he knew about the game and he was like, really, you want to watch this? So we started to watch it. And um, initially I was really into it. Um, that first episode, I think they did a really great job um, 
just kind of building up the story and having this low level anxiety and like you kind of know something's going to happen, but you're not sure what and you're following this, you know, young teenage girl, um, you know, biracial or, or whatever. But like it was also I thought it was really cool to see, you know, a young girl of color on screen like that. And so I was um, getting very invested into the show. And I think with that first episode ending how it did, where basically she dies, um, <laughs> right there, that was like my first big like red stop sign where I was like, okay, what am I going to see here? You know, and I, as a, you know, mixed race, um, you know, person of color, I just felt like I was seeing myself and then it was just like, oh yeah, that's right. That's often what we see on screen of with people of color. So I just, um, after that was like, either this is going to fuel this man and maybe this is going to be his own character development where whatever happens through the, through the story is fueled by the loss of his daughter. And I was a little disappointed that they didn't touch more on that racial component because they made him kind of like, uh, I was getting, I don't know, like just, I don't know what the word would be like, you know, he was like driving a pickup truck and, you know, just kind of like this all American white guy, but like a single father raising a black daughter. So like that, just like that whole thing there, which I was super excited that they threw in there, but then within the first episode, she was dead. So I was like, okay, you, it was like a cliff. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> very yeah. much. We're like, we're like on the way we're driving, we're driving. And then it's just oof, like, all right. Yeah. I think yeah. calling it a cliff is an apt way to put it. <laughs> right. So then I just didn't know. I'm like, okay, so is this going to be a part of his bigger story or not? And that question then became what took me to the second episode. And, you know, then I realized it wasn't. And um, I felt like pretty much I, I just felt like I was in limbo and try and understanding whatever additional meaning there was in the show. And ultimately it didn't really live up to it. And it left me feeling like, yeah, it left me feeling sad. It left me feeling like the people who made the show clearly are thinking about things and experiencing things, but maybe not to like the full conscious level where they could really talk about these things. So then it just left me feeling kind of empty, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely get that as well. Um, I just want to go back really quickly to talk about your commentary on Sarah. So Sarah's Joel's daughter's name. Um, yeah. And that was a really interesting switch. So I, I didn't play the video game. I'm not a video game person. Um, I had never heard of the video game when the show started. But when the show started, I was like, okay, let me look into the background of this, um, just out of curiosity. And I also listened to some podcasts. I had a tendency of a, like I had started listening to TV show podcasts when Westworld came out because there were oh. so many aspects of Westworld where I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Let me see what other people thought about this. Right. Um, and then so the, the Last of Us was much more straightforward. So there wasn't as much to get out of a podcast. However, what I thought was interesting was that the people who were podcasting on the show, many of them had played the video game before. And like even the showrunner and producer, Craig Mazin, was like a big fan of the video game. So that's how he ended up, you know, getting with Neil Druckmann, who was the like the creator of the video game to create the show. So there's a lot of like video game lore and backgrounds right I felt like I needed to know just to understand the changes that they had made in the show right um yeah. and one of them that's a big one was Sarah so Sarah in the 
Sarah and Joel, both in the video game, are white. They're like white American, you know, no racial ambiguity there, nothing. They're from, I believe he's still from Texas in the video, in the video game. Um, but on the show, so Joel and his brother, Tommy, are both Latino. Um, and they're, especially Tommy, is noticeably Latino. Um, I think, you know, someone could look at, at, um, at Joel and say, okay, like he's a white Latino clearly, but you don't necessarily know he's Latino, right? Like if you see Joel, the character um, who is played by Pedro Pascal, who himself is Chilean, but he's like white Chilean, right? So like, there's not, yeah, there's yeah. not a ton of like, if you see Pedro Pascal with a beard and a mustache, you can't tell that he's Latino necessarily. Um, you may just see a scruffy white guy. And, right. but when they introduce his brother, it's clear that his brother is like, Latin American have of Latin American descent, Latino, et cetera. Um, he's not, he's, he's not, um, white looking quote unquote. I mean, I'm not getting out calipers here, but you know, like if you see, if you see Tommy on the street, you know, that he's a, a Latino man. Um, whereas his daughter is visibly, as you said, biracial, like she's mixed with black somewhere. And the, the daughter Sarah is actually played by, um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's a famous actress who was in Westworld, actually. Um, and Tandy Newton, there we go. So Tandy Way Newton, her daughter is playing Sarah. And she has, you know, curly, big, boofy, curly hair. She's got, you know, tannish brown skin. She's very noticeably of African descent. The wife in the show, however, is missing. Apparently they right. had, they got divorced or something like that. You don't really get any background on that. And I kept hoping they would explore that. Because I thought to myself, like, it's kind of weird that the little girl is friends with these elderly white neighbors in Texas, and there's no tension there. I always thought that was strange. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, I, I would always joke and kind of say, like, it wasn't the zombies or, like, the infected that that shocked me the most. What I was shocked by most is that people in uh, the rural outskirts of Austin, Texas in early 2000s were <laughs> friendly with their Latino and Afro-Latino neighbors, you know, yes, it, was just, yes. it was surprising. Um, so I think that was the first giveaway that like their blind casting, as they call it, right? When they, when they cast people of color in, in any role without necessarily yep. being intentional about it, uh, about the, the racial meaning. I think that was the first giveaway that their blind casting was um, lacking a little bit because they weren't exploring those other questions or things that were a bit off, at least to as a black viewer. Right. I was kind of right. like, that's weird. We see these people of color, but we don't get any real exploration of what's going on with them uh, on that front. The other thing I really wanted to add about that first episode, too, was that because Tommy and Joel are both Latino, I think it's interesting that they're war veterans as well. Um, and you don't get a ton of background on that other than they were in, um, you know, Operation Desert Storm. But this is when this is like immediately after 9-11. So the show is set. It starts in 2003, I believe. Um, so I'm like. There's no discussion of like immigration or any, you know, it, it's kind of strange to me that none of that stuff was explored. And I think, you know, most of the time when you see zombie shows or shows with, you know, about like pandemic type settings, those things are symbolic. They mean something. And I think right. the, the plagues and the zombies and all that stuff, they're often making a social commentary about, you know, reactionary responses to people like immigrants. So it's just kind of strange that they didn't consider perhaps what it would mean to have two male Latino leads with a daughter of color 
in a rural Texas town and then later on fighting zombies or whatever you want to call them infected. Uh, it just wasn't, it was like, you guys dropped the ball here. That could have been a really interesting thing to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same exact way. And I think once, um, once Sarah died and then in the next episode, um, when Tess, the woman that, um, the main characters traveling with, uh, to get Ellie across the country when she dies in the second episode, Um, That's when I started to realize and be like, okay, this is probably a running theme for each episode where we're going to see um, someone die. So that, um, you know, I was happy to kind of have like my, like the scope set for what to expect. Um, But then we moved forward and we had the episode where we had the um, couple living out in the suburbs, I guess, outside of Boston, um, and they go they go through their life story and how they meet and they're a gay couple and they basically make this like oasis to kind of live through this post-apocalypse together. Um, and yeah, I just felt like I, I really liked that episode. I liked the way that they went into detail about these characters lives. And there was there was just a lot of character development through that episode. Um, and then you fast forward, I think the next episode where they arrive um in like Kansas City and that's when they get stuck there and it was when they got stuck there that that episode started to do a lot of um foreshadowing about these characters Henry and his son and how terrible they are and we can't stop we've got to find them and you know as that story then continued and you know we get to the episode after where they find Henry and they're helping Henry and his son and Henry's son is um, deaf and both of them are black, um, which they didn't, I don't really know how they would have been able to say that before we as the audience see um, these brothers, but I don't know. Once that happened, it just, it was again, this moment where I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You did a lot of, um, foreshadowing and build up around these characters and are they good are they bad and but you never said anything about them being black which like would have helped me to anchor me and like how would I feel about all of this other dialogue that's happening around these characters um how did you feel about that yeah that episode or those two episodes were particularly interesting to me and I think when I really started noticing they had a race issue in the show Mm -hmm. um because so I should say, first of all, like Henry and Sam are brothers and they're both, I think in the, in the, sh- in the, the show, they were, if I'm not mistaken, the older brother was aged up a little bit in appearance. Um, like I said, I've never played the video game, so I don't know what the brothers look like in the video game, but I know that in the video game, Sam, the younger brother is not deaf. So that was an okay. a, intentional choice. But however, in the video game, they are black. I do know that much. Um, okay. But this, I, the lady, like Kathleen and all these people and her like bandit group of bandits and whatever, they're supposed to be revolutionaries of some sort, but they are not in the, the, uh, the video game at all. And also oh. the third, the third episode with the, the, the gay couple that's living in the suburbs, they're in the video game, but don't feature as prominently. And definitely there's no, like it's implied that they were dating or together, um, but there's no explicit reference to like them 
they're being a couple or, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's missing from the video game that, and I think this is why people really liked that episode because they were like, oh, you filled in so much background on these characters that we only knew briefly in the the game. And (laughs) I'm like, yeah, so that episode was great. So why couldn't they have done that with so many of the other characters, right? Um, I really would have liked to have seen as we talked about earlier, an exploration of Sarah and the relationship perhaps that Joel had with her mom or an exploration of, as we discussed as well, Henry and Sam, especially if you're going to kill them off, right? Exactly. Um, It's like I have for me to invest in them as characters, I would like to know more about them and so that I actually care when they die. And of course I care because I'm just a viewer, right? Um, And it was a very sad moment when they both die, but it's, it still would have been nice to have known a little bit more about them or, you know, I I think we got a lot compared to some others. Like we hardly learn anything about Tess, for example, which before she dies, Um, we do get more about Henry and Sam's background, but still there's, I think it's interesting that they have, they feature these two people, these two black boys, and they're being hunted by a rogue state, which says something right like it it, at first I thought that they were I didn't you know the first episode uh before they really get into their backstory you don't realize that the Henry that Kathleen is talking about is a young man or like a boy right doesn't you you think he's like an adult adversary for her um and so it's interesting that the initial lead up to learning about who Henry and Sam are you're picturing them as these a adults but then be adults who are who pose a threat, right? Who pose a very real yeah. threat, especially the way Kathleen talks about them. And Kathleen, of course, if, if, to her own credit, you know, she's been wronged by them because the the backstory is that Henry had to get cancer medication for Sam, and that involved betraying Kathleen's brother, who was like the leader of this revolutionary group that overthrew this the newly like assigned during the pandemic state forces known as Fedra. Um, and so the whole point is like, oh, these are backstabbers or whatever. They're like, you know, they they sold us out. They ratted us out um, to to get what they needed to survive. Um, and they put themselves above the entire community and society and the struggle. But then when you find out that they're two little boys, um, basically, it, it <laughs> I laugh because I'm like, again, another area where they could have talked about or at least further explored what it means to be black young men and children who are in this case children who are their threat is exaggerated beyond normal proportions right we know what that means in terms of policing in this country right where black children are perceived or or portrayed often as like large threatening adults um well beyond their physical means and then hunted down um and so i think there was there was a lot missing there and again i I don't know if the showrunners even thought about that or like understand that in order right. to to get into it. But it would have been nice maybe if if they had some, you know, black writers in the writer's room, maybe. I don't know if they did or not, but to maybe say something like, hey, guys, let's fill this story out more. The last yeah. thing I wanted to say about those two episodes was like, I started crying from the jump uh, when they started doing the slight uh, like before before everything started happening for them because they showed the doctor whose last name I believe is Epstein or something like that. So I assumed right away just by his last name that he was of Jewish descent. Um, 
and he sh- they show Edelstein is his name. Sorry, his last name is Edelstein. So I'm like, okay, this person is likely of Jewish descent. I know that Neil Druckmann, the creator of the video game, and Craig Mazin both are of Jewish descent. So I said, okay, this this doctor that they included in the show, I don't think he's in the video game, um, is hunted down and killed by Kathleen. And the first, like the opening scenes of this episode are of him helping Henry and Sam hide in an attic. And I just started crying like right away, you know, like my immediate thoughts were like Holocaust and slavery and all these moments throughout history where you have, you know, marginalized groups collaborating and trying to really save one another from these, the state violence or social violence. And it just, it was really impactful for me. I'm like getting chills right now as I'm like talking about it. But then you know, I think to lose them in that same episode, it's just, it's really hard. And and I, I think uh, I actually thought that that episode was stronger than the, the episode with the two men in the suburbs, the third episode, yeah. but I wish that they had, I wish that the showrunners maybe had understood the depth of that episode and done more with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, what I'll say is that for me, that episode um, with the way that it ended And also just thinking about throughout the entire series, when we saw um, really graphic uh, depictions of violence or death or things like that, you know, again, going back to that um, episode with the gay couple and, you know, their life story and even their end, you know, a beautiful way to end with a nice wholesome dinner and drinks. And then you go and lay down and you both have made that decision. And now it's the end, you know, versus what we saw with Henry and Sam. And we have this, this little innocent boy, you know, um, get infected and then basically be like, you have his friends and family put in the situation of, we have to act immediately. What do we do? Um, And yeah, I don't know. It just, it was so twisted. It was, it was very twisted for me that the writers ultimately put the characters in that situation. Um, And then also just the fact that they would show a black child be killed like that. Um, And also with the way that the infection works on the body in this story, where it's like, it turns you animalistic and zombie-like and this and that. And so to have that within a child character um, I don't know. That felt a little too, it just, it, I don't know. I think in some forms of violence against black people, um, because of the world we live in, like, I just don't want to see, I don't want to have my, um, like R and R time be filled with such images. And so, um, you know, I, I struggled after that. And especially as well, like as, as we continued with the series where there are these moments where there's, you know, killing uh, or something really terrible happens, but you never actually see it in a graphic detail. Um, so yeah, again, it was like the choice just made me feel sad. And and like, again, there was another missed opportunity. Yeah, that's a really good point about the graphic nature of the death. So the, the showrunners themselves have said, like, we didn't want to show any death in the sense that like you saw the death happening, right? Like we knew that they we knew that Henry had to shoot Sam and we knew that Sam would die and we 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 know that but we don't actually see like 
Henry shootings. Like we we know we hear it, but we don't see the death, for example. Um, so that at least was somewhat of a good choice. Like if we're, if we're giving them some credit, but I agree with you in the sense that the way the deaths were played out, if you did, if you were to do a tally, the just from the beginning of the show, the white characters are the at least the main white characters, the white characters we actually get to know. So like um, Tess and the two men, and um, I'm trying to think if there's anything, anyone else, um, but the people that we get to know that are main characters are committing suicide, more or less. So right. Tess, Tess sort of, Tess takes her life um, and, and takes down a bunch of infected people at the same time because she's able to light the match as she's you know, um, being kissed, <laughs> like kind of reinfected, right. I guess, by this yeah. other infected person. But she herself has already been bitten. We don't see her get bitten, but we know that she's bitten. She reveals it. And then she lights a match or like lights the, the, the what's it called? The cigarette lighter. Yeah. Um, to drop on all this, like completely oiled down uh, museum or library or whatever, the state house, I think that they're in uh, to, to light the building on fire. But we don't see her death. Uh, we also have, as you said, you know, the two men, they end up committing suicide together. And I keep saying committing suicide. I shouldn't say that because I know that's a turn of phrase that has um, become problematic over the, over the years. But I should say, you know, they take their own lives um, and we don't see their deaths either. And in fact, we're, we're sheltered from their deaths because in the letter to Joel, um, the guy says, you know, like, I don't want you all to come into the bedroom because it'll be ugly, right? I don't want you to come yeah. and see us dead. Just know that we've left you these things and blah, blah, blah. Um, but but Bill is intentional about saying, I don't want you to see us like this. This is not the state that I want you to see us in. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting choice that then, as you said, all of the people of color thus far, however, suffer from violent deaths. So we have Sarah, who's shot to death by a soldier. We have, um, you know, Henry and Sam, who one becomes infected and, as you said, becomes almost like an animal in his infected state, is shot and put down um, yeah. by his own brother. Then you have uh, even the, the part of the episode where they open talking about what's happening in Jakarta, you know, the doctor, this is, you know, we're talking about Indonesia here. So people of Asian descent or people who are just directly Asian are talking about bombing the infected. Right. right. Um, so again, it's like violence upon violence upon violence for people of color um, in ways that I think are, as you said, kind of explicit um, that we don't see at least up to this point as much for the characters of, of who are, who are white. And the other thing, just really, I'm thinking of things as, as we talk, but I had forgotten about him, but the Fedra soldier, who's also of Asian descent, um, in I believe first and second episode, in order for Joel, Ellie, and Tess to escape, Joel beats the soldier to death. Right. Um, if you remember that scene, it's like in the late of, you know, they're they're trying to escape the city overnight, and the soldier had warned them to not come out. Um, and and Joel and Tess and Ellie actually run into him during their attempt to escape. And he's like, I'm going to have to test you guys. Are you infected? And in the process of doing that, you know, Joel doesn't want um, Ellie's information and stuff to come out. And so he he literally beats this guy to death to get out. And we see that scene. You know, we don't yeah. see his face, but we see Joel pummeling this guy to the point that he like messes up his own hand. Yeah. 
and you know, I mean, to, <laughs> what is this opening first three, four episodes? That's definitely um, a pattern at this point. Yeah, it almost felt like because they had so many different characters, it was like, well, we'll just treat them all the same. And it was kind of like this blanket way of treating them. Um, I'm just thinking about other examples throughout the show. Like, for example, um, when they end up, when Joel is really sick and Ellie ends up coming across this group of people, they're like a commune and they're eating each other. And the main guy that's running it is keeping that secret, but captures her. And like, he's just a really evil guy. And um yeah, basically his end is is pretty violent, but, and I guess he's, you know, he's white. So I'm just thinking that like when they did show white, a white person being killed and again, they, they actually don't show it. It's just one of those where they're showing Ellie, you know, um, what was, she was like stabbing her or something. I don't know. I, yeah. I kind of block out those the really <laughs> detailed parts, but you know, but you can see her doing it, but you're not seeing him. It's like the camera cuts where you would be seeing him. Um, which was a shot that they did a lot throughout the show. But it, it again, it's like, so for us to see that, he had to be like the terrible, terrible, terrible person. But with some of these other characters, it was just a means to an end. And yeah, um, yeah I think that blind casting that we talked about earlier played a big role in which characters we got to see because there's always that plausible deniability of like, well, you know, we weren't thinking about that aspect of it, but actually in not thinking about the, that aspect, they were showing things that, um, I, you know, I'm still trying to get to the root of what makes me so upset about it because yes, it's <laughs> fiction, but I think for me, it just like, we've gone through the last at least 10 years, you know, if not longer uh, for me, definitely like Trayvon Martin, being, you know, right around my age and he was 17. And so like, that's just been at least a decade where I've had to see that become a bigger part of the cultural conversation through videos of unnecessary black death. And so I'm very sensitive to these, this type of um, media. And I personally don't choose to watch it at all. You know, I don't, I don't ever need to see anything like that again. It's a terrible thing that happens in this country. Um, and yeah, so I think for them to include that in their show, which should be a place where, um, you know, the nice thing about scary shows or, you know, suspenseful shows is that you can have those feelings in a safe environment. And so for them to then insert black death into that show, it just was very triggering for me in a way that it didn't. It didn't even need to be that way. So that's what left me kind of feeling like, again, kind of the same question as the first episode is like, is there going to be some bigger meaning to this? But then every time the answer was no. Yeah. And I think your point there about the way that white characters who were murdered brutally were built up to be particularly evil is super insightful because you're right. Like David, the guy who's the cult leader or whatever, um, is brutally murdered by Ellie, but it's like after he attempted to rape her and he himself, there's lots of hints that he's kind of like, he and the commune are kind of a white supremacist group in a lot of ways. There's some, some stuff in there where he literally talks about, you know, um, saving their their children from certain things that that's reminiscent of some stuff that like is a common Nazi saying um 
and this is something that you know the showrunners have said as well but something i picked up on when i was watching it also um then there's kathleen and her crew uh kathleen and perry who run the 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 kansas city setup settlement whatever you want to call it they're particularly evil right and they yeah. suffer graphic deaths it's like one of the few deaths that we actually see uh when perry is like torn apart by this big uh bloater infected oh, yeah. thing that like yeah. comes out of the ground but as you said these are people who are set up to be particularly evil whereas the black people who are who die really like graphic or violent deaths are not really doing anything right they're not they're just there they're people who are trying to survive and um help their family or whatever and and then you there's there's no it's just like they're again things that they probably weren't thinking about when they did it but that certainly came across this way is like it's like their 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 death was i don't want to say deserved but almost justified by virtue of their being black um in the process of the way that it's it's you know implied or depicted um i would also say too that like we have you know one thing that i that i noticed throughout um is that it seems like certain groups are always in authority positions and others are not yeah. and like i'm trying to figure out what they're they're trying to say with this again may not be trying to say anything at all but the coincidence is frustrating um so for example Asian or Asian American people in the show are always in positions of authority and they're always siding with the state. Um, and they're always kind of actually in kind of actively committing violence to other people, even if it's not shown, but maybe implied. So you have the doctor in Indonesia who's saying bomb everybody who's infected, bomb me too, right? Like just bomb the whole, whole town, get, get rid of the whole city. Um, She's a, a obviously a person of authority, and then the people around her are people in authority, so military members, government, and and scientists. Um, then you have, again, the guy who's the Asian American Fedra agent. He's part of the the government at that point, or the makeshift government that's come into place after the real government fell, or the, the formal government, U.S. government fell. Um, and then you have the the lieutenant, or like the captain, or whatever. I don't know his exact position. But the man who's supervising the cadets uh, who are supposed to be the new Fedra agents in the next few years, um, he who the one who talks to Ellie and he's like, stop messing up, you know, like we need you to yeah. get back in line and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he basically says, like, do you want to be a grunt or do you want to be a captain like me and like have, you know, guaranteed bed to sleep in at night and food and whatnot. Um, and again, he's Asian American. He is he's a person in state power. He's a person who's in a position of authority. And he's a person that you know beyond his office that he's committing violence to other people who are, you know, citizens or people who are living in the Boston area. Um, the other person that we haven't really gotten around to talking about yet, who comes up later, but there's a connection here, is Riley, um, who is Ellie's love interest and friend from Fedra School. This is all in the same episode. She's black. Um, and clearly she also dies a, a sad death. She turns into a zombie. And the implication is that Ellie has to kill her. Yeah. Um, we don't see any of that again, but the once more, you know, violent death for people of color, especially black people. Um, but I just think about the fact that, you know, she would have been put on, they were saying that she would be put on duty to basically shovel shit 
That yeah. would have been her job had she not, you know, left Fedra and gone to the Fireflies. And the question becomes, you know, I kept wondering, is she going to be put on ship detail because she's black? Right. Or is it is like is it was she just rebellious and that would be her punishment or was she actually like being assigned this role because she was a black person and you know we know we see these things happen all the time in the regular military as that we know today and that we knew of the past obviously where black soldiers and members of the military were put on lower detail and you know rather degrading roles that they had to fulfill um so it makes me again wonder what was the reasoning for that if not her rebellion was there something going on racially because race yeah. is like noticeably absent from this post-apocalyptic world which is also what we see happen in the handmaid's tale which has been hard to watch for that reason right it's like where's the so racism just disappears because we have an apocalypse right <laughs> and as we know uh living through a pandemic that's not what happens right if anything yeah. those those divisions deepen um so, you know, why is it absent here? Yeah, I certainly found myself wondering that as I was watching the show. Um, I thought the episode with Ellie and um, her friend, what was her name again? Did you say? Riley. Her name's Riley. Riley. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, that was another one as well, where like the episode starts and it's like, oh, where are you, Riley? And why did you leave, Riley? You've been gone for three weeks, Riley. But we never actually know that she's black until the moment she pops in through the window. And it's like, oh, you know, and again, it's just like I, I really did find myself wondering what would this reality have been like for the black characters and you know if there was one black character the daughter in the beginning you know and then she dies and you're like oh okay well I guess we won't find out but it was like they continuously had black characters coming in through the series where you know where was she for three weeks like I I did want to know (laughs) and why did she leave like what was maybe the maybe she was dealing with like racist treatment in this Fedra school that pushed her to leave, you know? Exactly. Like- and that just, and, <laughs> and then the fact that these um, white characters who are supposed to be friends or parents or whatever, don't, aren't like, we're not seeing them have those conversations. Um, yeah. It just, it, it was bringing stuff up for me. I was like, wow. You know, if you, if you don't see it, how do you know? Um you know, what can be. And so I did feel like there were a lot of opportunities for uncomfortable conversations uh, between white people, black people, people of color, and they just never took place on screen. And at least for that episode, I will say, you know, I did like to see their friendship and I liked to see that budding romance. Um, But again, it was like, as soon as this moment comes where you can go to a deeper level with a black person, you know, the zombies come out and they die. The zombies who are magically <laughs> not present for like two episodes suddenly jump in and get them. So yeah, I I had feelings all throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's also I've heard, uh, so there aren't that many commentators on the show who are of color themselves, although there is, um, there's a pair of guys who do like a casual recap um of the show and they're both but at least one one guy is black and one I think identifies as biracial and they talk about the show but they also never really talk about race I think just because of the nature of the podcast that they're a part of like the the podcast system or whatever um they mention it here and there but 
it it <laughs> it's just kind of like the elephant in the room in so many instances. Um, and I think your point about Riley's background not really being explored or gone into is important um, because we we don't get, and, and it seems like a lot of these people have compelling stories. I guess arguably we don't really get the backstory on anyone um, and maybe slash hopefully that's something that they do a little bit more of in the next season because I kept waiting for like a, flashback with Joel and his wife or like flashback with Tommy or any sort of flashback the only flashback we get it really is like Ellie you know yeah Um, she's the only one and and I guess with the mother um, you know the mother giving birth to Ellie and things like that but those are the only real flashbacks we get and I wonder about you know that choice and and what if the show maybe had 12 episodes instead of whatever the nine or 10 that it did, could there have been more room to explore those things? Or like just thinking about, again, the kind of combination of class and race, like thinking about Kansas City in particular, you know, why is it that this little boy can't get his cancer treatment? Obviously that we're living in the apocalypse, but like are white people getting access to meds that they don't have? Or were they right. poor before the before the apocalypse began and and then cut off from those resources when it could have been, you know, something that they could have gotten beforehand. Or I had lots of questions like that, just like thinking about economic stuff as well. You know, what's the, what's the sort of like, (laughs) again, maybe I'm thinking too much in the present, but we know how these resources get doled out to the population and it's done in deeply unfair ways. Um, So if we're, we're talking about poor people trying to survive this apocalypse as well, we didn't really get a clear understanding of like how their lives were also impacted by this um, and, and what things that they were, I don't know, like deprived of um, within the process. Like how, what was the, what was the sort of um, like hierarchy within these cities or systems? Um, We don't get a lot of world building on that front. And I think that would have also helped answer some questions that remain for me about these characters and what they had access to. The other thing I just wanted to comment really quickly that you made me think about is like, I don't remember seeing any zombified people with the exception of Sam that were of color. And maybe I just missed them. Like I would have to go back and really comb through all the footage, which I don't want to do. Like watching it once through is enough. I watched it through twice and that was already like, oh, it's a hard show to watch again for me. Um, But I I, I don't know. Did you ever, did you happen to catch any like black uh, infected people or like non-white infected people that we saw close up or were, I feel like they were all, all white. I'm really trying to think. I feel like, if there were, it probably would have been in that second episode with Tess mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they went up and they showed everybody rolling around in the sun, whatever right, that right, was. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, but that was something that I noticed, but I was okay with. I was like, I don't really need to see that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling for um, affirmative action or recruitment <laughs> for, for zombies, but. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. But that was interesting because I know in like I've seen some episodes of The Walking Dead. I've never been like a committed fan or anything, but I do recall in The Walking Dead, you know, they they had a fairly diverse set of zombies. They were like demographically aligned with where they were at one point because they I know that they travel from like Atlanta to D.C. or something in the show, if I'm not mistaken. And so okay. they did. It's like you can't not have black zombies, basically. Right, um, right. But it makes me wonder, like kind of thinking about 
the current pandemic we're living in, like maybe um, the black people or the people of color just knew how to better protect themselves from the zombies. And they like, because <laughs> in the show it, or sorry, in the video game, actually you get infected by way of spores. And this is something that they left out of the show, which like is unfortunate because it would have been a real commentary on stuff that's happening now, I think rather yeah. directly. Um, but in the, in the video game, they have, in order to protect themselves from the infected spores, they have to wear gas masks. Yeah. And Ellie is, immune and so she's like the only person in the whole video game or whatever that never has to wear a gas mask and like I was just thinking to myself you know can you imagine like if 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 it's based on masking if you yeah. don't get infected <laughs> then like no wonder there are not that many black zombies or whatever um in the show because like oh those black people were probably wearing their masks right um but just it's it's just sort of a funny aside but it, it is something that I noticed like I didn't I don't remember seeing any um that were non-white and I guess at that point they're all you know fungus anyway there's no race when you're turned into a fungus but right <laughs> but <Yeah>. it was missing <laughs> I it was certainly missing and I just just going back to what you said about you know current times and you know just everything around that I was very interested to see what they would put on the screen about that and I will say for in that regard of like not having to feel um, any sort of similar feelings to, you know, what's happening in real life. Um, I do think they did a good job of separating what that virus or, you know, it wasn't a virus, it was through fungus, but, you know, that illness um, did feel very separate from what we've been experiencing. And that was also an interesting intentional choice because like you said, in the game, they're actually wearing masks. And that was something where I, I was very interested early on to see like, how are they going to try to avoid getting infected? And I was waiting for masks and there were no masks. So um, yeah, it was interesting. The choices they decided to leave in and what they decided to change. Mm-hmm. I think too that um, thinking about like one of the episodes that for me was it was very reminiscent of the present was when they came across the Jackson community in I think they're in Wyoming at that point um, and that's where his brother Tommy is and then with his new wife or girlfriend I don't know if I can't remember if they're married or not in the show but um, Maria who's played by um, a, a rather popular actress who was also in like um some other she's been in a lot of a lot of shows actually um and movies that I've seen but it's she's one of those faces who's like oh I've seen her and stuff but then sometimes can't remember what it was um but she was in she was in True Blood and um she was also in a show on like that network that's run by Oprah that of course I'm forgetting the name of I think it's Isn't Own. it O? Yeah, Own. Yeah. It's called Own. Um right. And so she's she's been in a bunch of stuff like that. And she's a beautiful actress, but I think a poorly utilized actress, you know, like which is the case for a lot of black actresses. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you have these women who are amazing uh, at their craft, but then rarely featured. And so it was nice to see her name's Rutina Wesley, by the way, I should like say her name. Right. Um, But she she featured prominently in that episode. Um, And I think, you know, it also made me wonder, like, what is the deal with Joel and his brother both having yes. black partners or wives and you know again underexplored right like not even mentioned but like every black person I know who watched the show picked up on that and like yeah. said something about it um and we were like okay like there's a, a bit of a mention 
from Joel that Tommy's a joiner and that Tommy's kind of a follower. And, you know, it made me wonder, like, is it is the implication there, again, perhaps not even the intention of the showrunners, but is the implication there that, like, Tommy saw his brother in a relationship with a Black woman and he saw the relationship that they had and the child that they had together and whatever, despite their problems, was it something that he then emulated? You know, like, was it was it not just a matter of, I like this woman and I want to have a child with her or be with her romantically, but is it also perhaps like influence of Joel and his life on Tommy? Um, and maybe Tommy kind of righting the wrongs of where Joel messed up, you know what I mean? Because there were there yes. a lot of implications that like Tommy was kind of living, he he took Joel's flaws and tried to like invert them. Um, right. and be a become a better person and this is the and so in a lot of ways I felt like he was like a parallel like a mirror to Joel but the more positive <laughs> like happy mirror yeah um I didn't know what to do with that though well when I saw that so I I also picked that up and I thought it was very interesting that um Joel was very cold towards Maria in the show Considering, yeah, there would have been like a whole backstory there with like his daughter and his ex-wife or partner. Like, so in my mind, I was like, well, is he being cold? Because maybe this is bringing triggering feelings. And mm. I think it was in that episode or, or maybe you can remind me, but I feel like it was in that episode where there was some triggering moments for him where then Ellie learns that, mm -hmm. yes, he had a daughter and stuff like that. But again, it was kind of like that moment where you're waiting for this uncomfortable conversation right <laughs> but it never happened so it was like we could talk about how you know he had this daughter and that's why he is how he is and this and that but like meanwhile he's treating maria with a level of um distance or distrust or whatever and we're like okay is that because they're in a pandemic is that because she's black is that because he remind she reminds him of his ex and his daughter and his life like and mm -hmm. it was probably a combination of things if we're talking about you know how a human would feel and you know all the complex emotions that come with that but you know they only explored one side which was you know he was a father and right it's like very <laughs> flat um yes yeah. and they like even the part where he sees as you said he has all these triggering moments he sees the the woman with her child at the christmas lighting or whatever uh who reminds him of his daughter she's a clearly a biracial woman she has you know big boofy curly hair like his daughter had and all this stuff and you're like okay let's you know like yeah I, is this also, the moment right? like are they gonna do it are they really gonna do it um and I also thought just thinking again about like class dynamics and stuff I really thought it was fascinating that they had like the one I think really more critical pivotal important mention of like political systems is that you have this successful commune where a black woman is basically their leader and she says explicitly we're communists and you know mm. like clearly Tommy and Joel are kind of uncomfortable by that they're made uncomfortable by that because you know they used to work in the military and I think they have kind of like some discomfort around just that term by virtue of their exposure to U.S. propaganda and stuff but it's just kind of fascinating that that she says like she's the one character who really gives a name to what they're doing over there. And the fact that she calls it communism, I was just kind of like, well, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, and for her character to be a black person doing that and a black woman on top of that. And this is the of all the societies that we see 
in the entire series, this is the only one that's operating in a successful way. It's the yeah. only one where like everyone has seems to have a fair shake. I mean, we even see children who are disabled, who are like in the in they're, they're watching a movie at one point you see a child mm-hmm. in a wheelchair like it seems to be this like utopia and it's just fascinating to me that the utopia is not only communist but it's led by a black woman and i think it says something and again they didn't really <laughs> you know it's like okay all the other societies are, are are led by um white people white men or a white woman uh but initially led by a white man you know and and it I think it did raise some interesting questions about like what the world could be. And this is not to, you know, romanticize black womanhood in that way. Like I'm not saying we're gods or whatever. Um, But I think it was an interesting choice, but then it also makes me ask the underside of that, which is it, it it also in the back of my mind where I felt kind of cynical was like, now it's reminding me of that whole trope of like black women saving the world and black women being superheroes and, you know, so it kind of, I don't know. But (laughs) again, I felt like I felt like to have that, though, that imagery, but for such a short amount of time compared to the rest of the series to the point where it's almost like you can remember other things so much more clearly than, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the child in the wheelchair at the movies and how things were running so smoothly and stuff. It, It was very interesting. It was very interesting for them to touch on it and then to jump away and you'll never see it again and every other right. society's broken and like, yeah. yeah and also for her I think to be she said she was like a prosecutor in her former life okay. um and I'm like again like what are they saying with this you know like prosecutors are uh, often you know their job basically makes them the enemy of poor people and the enemy of right. poor black people in particular like what does it mean that now and again maybe it's about a, a question of redemption you know like she's using this as a way to create a world that she didn't live in and that she she had a role in actually like undoing this type of world and so she had a 180 again maybe like tommy um yeah. but i think there's a lot there's a lot of stuff there that you know again i i guess we're adults, right? And maybe they're just saying to the audience, you guys are adults, so you figure it out, right? Yeah. And we're not going to show you and tell you everything. But I do wish that, again, in moments like that, 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 that I knew or I had a better feeling of, like, if they understood that or if they're just, again, blind casting and that's it, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, like you said, we're adults. They didn't need to spell it out, but they, I think there could have dropped a little bit more around it because I think when we look at a lot of the quote unquote good characters, um, they often will say they said something in the show where that showed that they were aligned with power when, you know, the society that we would have recognized existed. So, you know, her being a prosecutor, it was also like, you know, in the before times, I was aligned with the state. So I therefore am good. I don't know. Again, it's Mm -hmm. like they didn't really say that. So it kind of leaves you to be like, why do they keep mentioning Desert Storm? Why do they keep mentioning a prosecutor? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember either if they had any people who were former cops, which I thought it's it's kind of it's interesting how absent the police are in the show. Um, Because the last time you see actual police is like, in the very first episode when they're just trying to get control of Austin and they can't. Right. Um, And you just see them like haphazardly driving around and there's just no control of anything. Um, And 
you know, obviously FEDRA comes in to sort of fulfill a police-like role, but they're like a mix of government, like traditional federal government and police and FEMA. It's like all three had a baby. Um, But you just don't, you don't really get a feel for any sort of police mechanism um, or institution throughout the show. So I thought that was also interesting, but I'm just trying to think of any other color, like any, any other characters of color that we have throughout the show, minor or major. Um, the the last one that we haven't really talked about is Marlene and her crew, which is multiracial, but Marlene herself is um, black or biracial. I'm not sure how she identifies the actress, um, how she identifies, but just visually speaking, she's clearly a person of African descent. Um, and then the other person that comes to mind, who's a very minor character, I mean, she's an extra, but there's a scene in the beginning of episode three, which is the one with Bill and Frank. And they show a black woman with her baby being carted away Mm -hmm. by Fedra. And the implication of course, is that we know that they're killed by Fedra, even though they're not infected. Um, And they feature, you know, they show her face close up and we see her with her baby and all this stuff. But I just, it kept making me think about the fact that like beyond Henry and Sam, there are no black male characters in this show. And I didn't know what to make of that. Like I, I, you know, Henry and Sam are children. They're supposed to be like, Henry's supposed to be an older teenager. Um, Sam is obviously a child. He's like eight or nine or something. Um, So I I don't know. What, did you notice that? Did you make anything of that? Um, Because I just felt like we did see a lot of prominent black women we saw prominent women of color, period. Um, but we did not see any black male adult characters, unless I missed something rather drastically, but uh, I, I didn't see any. No, I don't think so. I, well, just to respond to the woman in the episode that, you know, is holding her baby and then she's gone and, you know, we know that she's killed. And then later we see like a makeshift graveyard where I think it was like some article of clothing was there that made us know yeah. the blanket, that it was the her. baby's blanket. Yeah. Right. So, and I remember feeling very strongly about that too. Just like, what's the point? I think that's kind of the running theme here that I felt watching it um, from the race perspective. It was just a lot of what's the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think with the, with not having any black male characters, um, it just, yeah, I, I don't really know what to even say about it because, yeah, why didn't they? Where where were the Black men? And it leaves the question of, would that have been too scary? Would that have been too unrealistic? Like, what was mm-hmm. the reason there? Um, or again, was it just like, Black people are so not a part of our personal experience that we don't even see that we don't have them here? Mm-hmm. Um, which I want to hope isn't the case, but the the fact is they weren't there so what happened in the process of creating the show that left them out yeah there's often a discussion about like futuristic societies whether they're dystopian or utopian um and there's often it's like a complaint that i hear quite a bit of entertainers and actors and actresses of asian descent who are like we're always in the future right you never yeah. <laughs> you never show present day depictions of asian americans like as as romantic leads or as 
in any position actually but we're always in the future you know you'll see us in the star treks or the you know like sci-fi type shows as lead actors and actresses but we're absent in other areas of film and tv and you know i think uh, a similar question can be asked about the then absence often of black male characters from sci-fi and futuristic whether dystopian or otherwise tv uh, and film i think that they have the opposite problem right so oftentimes it, it seems like with very few exceptions there aren't as there aren't as often um black men and at least in main character roles um in future settings which i don't i don't know what they're trying to say with that one um, it doesn't feel like it's a good thing right um it doesn't feel good at all you see because in future settings you see more biracial people which makes sense statistically right um but it's often the the utopian futuristic societies are often multiracial and you know the the idea is that we've we've transcended all the racism stuff and i think in some ways maybe the idea of having black male primary characters is like it will remind a present day audience of racism right mm. like you you're then you then start asking the questions like how is this person being treated are they safe but yes. maybe that's why and it could be an entirely subconscious thing like i don't think anyone's going into a writer's room saying okay Let's not have any black male right. characters because it makes people think about racism. But I think because black male characters or black men, period, as human beings are kind of like at the forefront of so many discussions that we have about racism and racialized violence that, you know, <laughs> the implication, sadly, is is almost as if they're just they're just all dead or killed off by then. Um, and that's really frightening in its own way. Right. Right. Um, I, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I also wonder now, now that you're saying this, that maybe again, as like racial stereotypes um, against black men and black women, you know, damaging, but very different. And I wonder as well, if like, because black women stereotypes, we still have our sexuality Whereas with men, it's like off. I mean, obviously, there's a there are sexual stereotypes as well, but like it's very much like. I think in a an apocalyptic sense, it would be their might and their strength, and you know, their superhuman whatever. And you know, I think in the show, what we saw was the black women that are there. They have their sexuality because they end up being the wife. And I think also going back to Maria's character, she was pregnant. Um, so it's like that can be there without it really having to be a conversation. Whereas if there was a black man in the room, how how is what kind of black man are we talking about? Is he gonna be, you know, big and buff and hot and like, you know, and how did how do then the other characters deal with that? You know, is he gonna be maybe um I don't know, totally against the stereotype where he's like the computer whiz or, you know, I think again, it kind of, it, it becomes a matter of how do you develop that character for that environment? And I, maybe it is just laziness in the writing, writer's room. And it's like, we don't really want to invest this sort of energy in developing a character that we have to think this much about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could see, I could definitely see, you know, in my mind, if I were to imagine like a black male character, maybe the the role that's played by the the Asian American captain, um, you know, something like that. Like I, I just I'm thinking like, where would you see like an adult black male? What role would he fulfill um, in a show like this? In thinking about existing roles in the show, 
Um, but I yeah. also just, I mean, what I think your comments about threat are really important too, because it almost feels like, you know, again, we've in our current day, in our present society, we have these depictions of black men that are very aggressive, violent, you know, um, threatening. And it makes me wonder if the threat of violence from black men in a show like this would be competing with the threat of violence from the the infected, right? Like on a visual mm -hmm. sense, would that be too much for an audience? And again, these are all subconscious things that I think they're doing. I don't think it's yes. intentional, but it makes me wonder like, can they not have a black male character that's a lead because, you know, unless it's like a benign lead, but pretty much if you think about it, all the characters in the show are pretty much bad. Like it's hard to think of a, with the exception maybe of Bill and Frank and some others, like the most of the people that we encounter are the enemy right throughout the show because yeah. it said it's based on a video game right like they're going to be levels uh the bad guys and it mis just makes me wonder like where where would a where would you write in a black male character other than joel but even then like joel joel would not work as a black character because it would be like he's dealing drugs he's violent mm. you know we would then say well he's still a stereotype right right um you know, I think if, when I was imagining it, I was imagining him, I was imagining them writing a black character into Maria's commune, or mm -hmm. maybe with the fireflies. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe actually, now that I say that, maybe there were a few scenes where when they're going into the fireflies um, spaces, where maybe there were some black male extras. Mm. Does that sound right? I mean, I don't even remember black male extras. I remember black female extras, funny enough, because like um, Marlene's partner uh like I don't mean romantic partner but like her her military partner basically in those first few episodes is a black woman the woman who gets her ear shot off um right. she's a black woman I, I I literally don't remember seeing any black like even as sidekicks yeah so again I don't know what's going on there um but one thing I wanted to add to just like thinking about some of the stuff that I study um regarding Brazilian history and history like historical ideas around gender um there in particular with regard to race and gender as combined one thing that you see a lot as a theme that comes up in uh brazilian literature and film and tv and, and sort of social norms is this idea of the black female body as like this reproductive source mm -hmm. um and that's its primary function and and beyond that it's kind of like the black the like fully black, you know, African woman or whatever exists for the sake of using her womb to like recreate our society. Um, this comes up over and over in film, TV and literature as I said in Brazil. And what ends up happening is like the white man technically in historical senses, like the Portuguese, right, are seen yeah. as the ones who are like implanting that seed, starting that society by virtue of mixing with black African women um, and then the society goes forward from there those are like kind of the Brazilian Adam and Eve wow. um, and then mixed race or multiracial people are seen as you know like the the ones who create who populate the society but throughout that same literature and film and tv multiracial multiracial women are often sexualized but not seen as producers so they're not shown as like mothers necessarily or as you know, they're not, they're not even shown as fertile. They're shown as just for the use of sex 
and nothing more. And you see some of these themes, um, at least with regard to the the sexualization of mixed women throughout Amer- like U.S. history as well and U.S. Right. Lit- literature and TV. But we don't see um, the black woman and the white male as the like progenitors of America, U.S. American society in the same way that you see in Brazil. It's like a completely different origin story. Um, but I find it interesting that, you know, like in this in this show, as you said, Maria is pregnant. Um, and the idea of pregnancy in general in this society is fraught and scary and like, you know, just so tenuous. You just don't know what's going to happen. Those women are particularly vulnerable in this show. And it's just fascinating that you have a dark skinned black woman, clearly evidently black woman who's now leading the society. And then she's going to have a baby into the society who will be biracial. Um, and yeah, lots of questions. Like I have a lot of questions. I just have a lot of yeah. it's it leaves me with more questions than answers on this front. And I just wish, I don't know, I wanna I, I should have done research into this, but I have a feeling that the writer's room is predominantly white. Um, and I think it shows. And like thanks for casting people of color, but it's just lacking so much depth there. And I and I wish that it, that had all been explored a little bit more. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the people who feel like um, just don't have us in it. You know, if we're not going to be in the writer's room, if we're, if there's not really going to be any agency in how those characters speak or, you know, move the plot or whatever, that's um, that would be authentic to a true black person or a person of color, just, you know, make it an all white show. Let's critique that. <laughs> that's still a problem, but you know, I'd rather it be that than having us there, but it's like, it almost feels um, a parasitic. It's like it's like you're using us as a host to tell a story when that's not how we would tell our own story. So, you know, just tell your own story then, you know, fine, have it. <laughs> right. And, you know, thinking about other shows that are on HBO that are apocalyptic or that deal with pandemics or whatever, um, like I think a lot about Station Eleven, when I'm talking about Last of Us, I'm not sure if you saw Station Eleven or not, uh, or know about its premise, but it's another show set during, uh, you know, a pandemic, and it's closer. Watching that show was much more cathartic because it was like it actually was, you know, similar pandemic to what we have now. It's some sort of flu that re- you know transmitted through respiratory means and stuff, and that kills people instantly. But it's much more dangerous than the current pandemic in terms of its rate of decimation and all of that. Um, but what's interesting in that show is the leads are, you know, like a man who's of South Asian descent, a young white girl who then becomes an adult, so a white woman um, and her crew, And again, there's like a very clear absence of black men. I don't know what to make of it. Because even in that show, there's a black female character. Um, She has a boyfriend slash husband who is um, played by um, Gael Garcia Garcia Bernal, who is himself, you know, of Mexican descent. But you don't really, there are like no black male characters in the whole dang show. And again, wow. I don't I don't know what to make of this. So I don't know, just kind of a back of my mind question that I have about maybe HBO, maybe HBO writers, maybe ideas of future. But why are, you know, we, we do see Black women, but we don't see Black 
man. And I'm not, I'm not like one of the MRA types, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like a, uh, someone who's like, where are the men at? You know, like what, yeah, what about yeah. men's rights and their thoughts? But it's just, to me, it's, it's a noticeable absence. And I'm not sure what's trying to be said by this repeat um, absence of, of black men in the future. It just, it kind of sits with me a little weird. Right. I did look up the writers and they are all white. <laughs> I'm so, laughing because it's like, oh, surprise. <laughs> right. So I guess that answers that. Um, yeah. They would have to answer. I mean, who knows what their reasoning would be. I will say one one time where, where the thought of Black men came up um, while I watched the show was when they were in Kansas City and everything was, you know, falling apart and all the zombies were coming out. And then there was this giant zombie that came out. Right, right. And killed one of the leaders. And I did think think when I saw that I was like I was I was kind of happy that there weren't black men in there because I was mm-hmm. like I just felt like the the way that that zombie looked was very stereotypical of a black man but again that plausible deniability of like it's a zombie right so right. you know I don't know if they would have been very responsible with a black male character they <laughs> they were okay with the other black characters and they were awful with the black male characters they did have so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah that's a good point and there's i you know i i think um having an all-white writers writers room uh it definitely showed um and i think that they're as we've said multiple times i think it's just a case of blind casting um but it's unfortunate that the blind casting also carried with it some stereotypes. And I think it's, it's one of those things that's kind of an inevitability. It's like with AI, you know, when they show the AI that eventually becomes racist just by virtue of interacting with humans um, and especially like Americans. Um, And so it, it just kind of feels like one of those things where like try as they might, but the reality is that those internal kind of hidden biases will come through the final product. Um, And the way, as you've said multiple times, the way the violence is depicted when it is depicted or implied, even um, it seems like most of the brutality is reserved for the people of color on the show and black people on the show. And and what do we do with that? Um, The other thing I I just wanted to, when I was thinking about um, absences is, uh, even in the section of Kansas city where they show them like going into the houses to tear them down and search for Henry and Sam, they, they they kind of zoom in on one of um, one of the main characters, like henchmen is a black woman. Um, So even there, like with Kathleen, one of her main like people, you know, going to tear down the place and riding on the tanks and whatever is a black woman. And uh, yeah, it's just, really fascinating um yeah because it's like well that's not then i'm not racist i right you know my henchman is black (laughs) look she's a black woman like look at me go um (laughs) but just again like an area where you could have had you would think like a black male extra or something and you know it's clear that they didn't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole but as you said probably for the best um so that's pretty much it we've we've talked a lot about the show I just wondered was there anything else that stood out to you or that you feel like we missed or perhaps in those because we didn't really get a ton into the latter episodes but people of color don't feature as prominently in those um but I'm just curious what was there if there was anything else that you wanted to highlight or felt like you wanted to talk about um I mean I guess my question, I actually have a question for you, which is, will you be watching season two? 
Oh, that's a tough one. I, cause as I said, I had, I had, I had moments of trouble with season one. Like I felt like some episodes that stood alone, I would, I really liked, but I wouldn't necessarily watch again unless yeah. I had to like for recapping things or something. Right. Um, but I don't know. And it, to me, from what I understand about the second season, because it's, it would be based on the second edition of last of us like they have they have a sequel to the video game and so the second um season of the show would be based on the second season of the video game and the third season of the video game has not come out yet it's like been pending for a while but it's supposed to be coming out soon if i'm not mistaken so i don't know um i'm not sure and i think I mean, if anything, I think I feel like I will probably still watch it because it'll be something to do on a Sunday night if I need to, you know, I don't want to say relax because it's not like a relaxing show <laughs> right, that I would right. watch for fun necessarily. But, you know, like I I need I want to do something on a Sunday night. So I'll watch the show and it's just part of like knowing what's going on in pop culture and keeping up with that. Um, you know, I think the acting is good. I think they tell compelling stories. So perhaps I I will probably watch it anyway. But based on what I do kind of already know about the second season of the video game, I'm not as excited about the story itself. Um, mm -hmm. Cause it goes into a lot of revenge narratives and stuff, which to me is just kind of a tired storyline in general, yeah. you know, like, okay. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I might, but I, I think, I think the other thing that kind of troubles the show is also just the politics of the showrunners and the, the main producer and all of that. Like, the, the guy who, Craig Mazin, is a liberal. And when I say liberal, I don't mean like he's not a conservative. I just mean like he's literally, he's not like leftist or anything like that, right? Um, Got it. Yeah. His politics are limited to that. And I think that shows as well in the show. Um, because you have moments where you're like, why are the people who are against the federal state who's that has been violent to them, partic particularly towards you know, marginalized groups, why are they being depicted as the bad guys, right? Like that, right. that those Kathleen episodes raised some questions because it was like, they were shown almost like they were like MAGA types. That's the impression I got. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what to do with their politics on the show um, until they did the episode with Maria where she's like proud to to basically call the commune communists, which I was like, oh, okay, that's good at least. Like, okay. But you still, you don't get a feel for any real political depth on the show. Um, and I think also like Neil Druckmann, so Neil Druckmann grew up on, um, illegal Israeli settlements, um, in the West Bank. And like, when I say illegal, I mean like uh, by all, any and all accounts, like, I don't mean whether or not we're having a debate on if Palestine is, or if the Israel, like Israeli state is a colony or anything like that, that aside, they're literally like divine, de defined as illegal settlements by like the UN and stuff, right? So it's like kind of a neutral statement. Um, and that he said, you know, growing up there and the way his parents thought about things and whatever, um, and even the way that he thought about things when he created the video game kind of limited his perspective um, as he was creating it. And I, I think he was in collaboration with Craig Mazin was trying to use the show to sort of um, make some corrections, I guess, or like alterations to some of the things that he felt were lacking in terms of storyline from the original video game. Um, and I know that 
this second season being based on revenge and something that he said specifically is related to his his background and growing up there and the idea of like one group attacking another group and then attacking another group and then back and forth I think that that will be such an oversimplification of the situation that it's going to make me angry because I'll I know Mm. that background you know what I'm saying um so instead of recognizing it as like you know this this like really sensitive and major question of state and who has the rights to land and like who was there first and all these things that like could be explored through a show like that I think it's going to be oversimplified to the point of parody like the metaphors and all that stuff it's just I think it may be running through my mind in ways that will annoy me but you know who knows I might be completely wrong and like by the time the second season comes out which god knows how long that's gonna take um (laughs) but maybe when that happens you know even more may have developed in terms of bringing on you know writers and stuff who are sensitive to these issues and thinking more in in analytical ways about it um But I don't know. We'll see. That's a really long answer to your question. So I'm sorry for <laughs> going on forever. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm probably still going to have it on, at least in the background, so that I can say I watched it. But I don't know. <laughs> what about you? I think you, I think I know your answer, but what do you think you're going to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, as I said in the beginning, I didn't know that it was based on a video game. Um, and so for me, that really limits what's possible with the show if they're trying to remain true to the storyline in the video game. So, and it seems like that's something they're really committed to. And I guess if you're a fan of the video game, then that's great. And I think a lot of the people who are fans of the video game did like the season. So, you know, I, I like what you said about hopefully between now and then, they may have more writers in the room and, you know, the, they might be a bit more sensitive to other storylines that are possible. Um, I won't hold my breath on it and (laughs) I won't be watching season two. I, if I hear some, you know, huge buzz about a specific episode, I'll probably watch it. Um, But I don't really see myself after this, after the Sam and Henry episode, I mean, I really, it felt like I just sank two feet into mud and I was just like trudging through trying to finish it because, mm-hmm. you know, I, it felt like a, almost like a form of self-betrayal. I don't, I don't do that to myself. I don't make myself watch things that um, hurt me so deeply. And I don't care if it's fiction when, as long as that's a reality anywhere, um, I just don't really think that it should be picked up in a, in a light way or in a fictional way with zero deeper meaning or message behind it. And so them doing that for me was enough to be like, you're not treating the characters in a respectful way. And as a black person, I don't, I don't want to give my time to that. So um, yeah, they, they definitely lost a viewer. Um, But (laughs) I do appreciate that I was able to watch the first season. And if I do hear something that, you know, could reel me back in, it would probably be that they, Um, we're taking this side of their story more seriously. Well, and see, if you hadn't watched it, I wouldn't have been able to have you as a guest on our show today. So there are benefits. There's a, there's a (laughs) silver lining there. Um, Well, thank you so much, Danny. I really appreciate your coming on and giving us your thoughts about the show. Um, And if you end up watching the second season and there's some stuff that arises that you feel like you want to touch on, you're always welcome back. Uh, Thank (laughs) you so much. So again, thanks so much and have a good one. Yeah, same to you. Thanks again. And thank you for listening to the Left Pocket Project podcast. 
just as a reminder, of course, check out our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash leftpoc if you'd like to check out additional resources for the show and or donate a dollar or more per month so we can keep the show running. Another uh, reminder really quickly, just for anyone who may not already know, although if you're listening, I think you know, but just in case, you can find our podcast pretty much everywhere. We're on YouTube. We're on podcasting apps that people use so like itunes and spotify and soundcloud and uh pretty much all of them that are out there uh so definitely check us out whichever way you find easiest and best um i hope you all have a great week and thanks so much for listening take care